Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we are calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 324. Hoping the final episode of season seven isn't a complete disaster. My name is Caleb Hag. <laughs> oh, I'm in full agreement. Uh, I'm amazed that we have completed by God's good grace. Seven seasons. Seven seasons. It's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, yeah, man. Congratulations. Seven years. Good gracious. I can't believe you put up with me for seven years. Hey, man. Like, Lots I, said, God, like I said, God's grace. <laughs> Lots changed in seven years, hasn't it? Man, I, yeah. Should we? I just realized I tried to block off the sun, and I realized now that the sun has changed spaces here. <laughs> and there's a um, huge line right on your face, yes. Yeah, I know. So it's like <laughs> angels are singing. Um, that... Yeah, we. Uh, I'm kind of scared, but I kind of want to go list. What was our first episode like? Oh, man, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. The, here's one thing that people might not realize about this show. Basically, when we switched over from the Robin Caleb show to Messiah Matters in season, what was that? Two, three, two, I forget. Two, two years ago. Um, well, show 200. So uh, 124 shows ago. Basically, um, yeah, I mean, when that happened, things started to get a little bit better. But I mean, I took a, I, I stopped wearing my kippa, what, in a, a couple of shows in to Messiah Matters. And here's what people don't realize is that I took off, is that I took down all of our shows off of YouTube. I didn't take them down. They're still there. But I took our shows and made them unlisted. So they're still there, but people can't find, like they're not on a playlist that people can find. And uh, so the only way that you can listen to those shows is by going to TorahResource.com and listening to them in the archive. And boy, are they bad. <laughs> they are really bad. 
<laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a double archive. They're gonna be in like yeah, the archive the basement. Yes, the vault. We'll put them in the a vault, vault somewhere. Of the basement archive. Yikes! And we forget the combination to the lock. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be interesting to have a a like a montage of of uh, past shows and like the progression of the show. <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, should we should we play a, a song? Do you have? Yeah, let's hear uh, a song. Let's, let's hear a song from from the good old days back when we used to be the Rob and Caleb show. You're a legend in your own mind. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. I don't, (laughs) we've played that in the last three years, haven't we? Oh, of course. But you know, Loudmouth and the Hoff was a, was a CMAR invention, which was great. Um, and, and so that's why we had that sound clip of Loudmouth and the Hoff. And then, um, (laughs) <laughs> and, and and then the name of the show was the Robin Caleb show, and that's where we get this from. Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. Well, we can't falter for thinking that. Um, anyway, so the show has gone through some major, some major revisions and, uh, and even a name change and actually season eight, which is coming up next week, we think as long as we're both going to be here, um, is going to actually have new artwork. We believe we'll, we'll, you know, maybe we're resting on Michael for that one. An airplane. We're, we're believing for an air for a jet. (laughs) (laughs) Send your money to, um, and then, uh, also, so new art basically. And uh, every, every season I redo the, uh, the intro and we're going to redo the intro. Now we're going to keep, we are going to keep the, the signature music that has now become last year. We purchased, we, we dropped some money, we purchased some uh, some some intro music, and lo and behold, everyone loves it. It's become the signature intro of this of this podcast. And is it a podcast? I don't know. I consider this more a YouTube show than a podcast. However, a lot of people listen to this through podcasts. So I should tell you now: if you are not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please become a subscriber. Click the subscribe button in the right. When you're looking at the screen, it's your right hand corner. It says subscribe. Click that. Give this video a thumbs up, and uh, yeah, if you're listening on uh, through a podcast, then you know write a review on the podcast platform that you listen to about this show, and then also uh, subscribe if you're not already. That's basically the pitch. Become a uh, part of this conversation, and you can do it by uh, oh, I I pressed the wrong button. Let me get rid of that real quick. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, become part of this conversation. You can do so by calling our comment line. It's 253-465-3205. I give it to you again. It's 253-465-3205. We haven't had any calls since Matt from Michigan. And maybe it's because we played Matt from Michigan so much that people got scared that they were going to get on air if they uh, if they called the comment line. You probably will. Who knows? Anyway, uh, that's the comment line, 253-465-3205. And also you can... Uh, you can shoot us an email, chagatoryresource.com, chagatoryresource.com. We've, you know, we've been asked, why don't you guys have uh, guests on the on the show anymore? Uh, we've tried to answer that by saying, no, we probably, you know, rare occasions we would. Um, 
We've also been asked why we don't have live call-ins. That was an absolute disaster. We tried that one time. It was the only time that uh, curse words were uttered on this word on this show. Not by us, by the way. Uh, I think the first two words of of the person who called in was definitely not good. Anyway, um, yeah. So thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for uh, you know being a part of the, this show because we couldn't do it without our supporters and our executive and associate producers. We are very grateful to everyone who uh, puts it on, and we're looking forward to a entirely wonderful season eight. Eight. All right, let's jump into it. We got some things to talk about today, and uh, let's just go with it. Jeremiah writes in. He says, uh, I recently got into a discussion with a Fringianic. By the way, if you don't know what a Fringianic is, there is a definition online now. Uh, messianic memes for Tor pursuant peeps, I believe is the Facebook, uh, go check it out. The person who runs that is absolutely brilliant and uh, has some great memes. Um, yeah, anyway, so fringianic is a coin term and there's a full definition. I'm not going to try to run down it again. I think I ran down it in season seven though, so you can go back and listen. Anyway, I recently got into a discussion with a fringianic on YouTube, on the YouTube comments section. He admits to he admits to bringing a lamb in from Nissan 14 to to Nissan uh, from I'm sorry from Nissan 10 to Nissan 14, and on Nissan 14 he kills that lamb for the Passover meal with openly confessing Jesus as Lord. Okay, he's got three questions. I want to stop. We've actually talked about this before because uh, Zach Bauer from New to Torah uh, has said that he does this as well, or, or at least has alluded to uh, killing a lamb and then putting blood over his doorpost. Um, there are some major theological issues with this. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anybody who does that. That's yeah, weird. There's reasons people don't do it. And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe people just don't know those reasons, but we'll talk about those here in a second. Anyway, these are the three questions that Jeremiah asks. He says, number one, is this heretical? Yes. Number two, does this add to sanctification? No. And number three, is God pleased when people do this kind of stuff? No. Let's go through all three of them. First of all, we need to define the word heretical. Now, when I use the term heretical, I use it in what I believe is the proper form, <laughs> but I could be wrong. Heretical, in my view, means that it is stands in opposition to the word. So, I mean, there are things that we all, sin is heretical, right? Now, I know... But usually it has to do with a doctrinal position, like yes. a rationale. It has to do with the rash, uh, rationales for behaving a certain way. Heresies usually have that sort of aspect to them. So I'm taking the, now let's go to the dictionary. And this is this is what most of the people usually, I get emails after I try to define something. And this is usually what people send me is like, no, you were totally off on this. Okay, so let's just read it out of the dictionary. Believing in or practicing religious heresy is the adjective. Um, holding an opinion at odds with what is generally accepted. And so if we take Sola Scriptura to be <laughs> Moises, uh, Calvinism is heretical. No, it's not. It's biblical. So that would see, actually, thank you for saying that because this actually proves uh, one of my points um, that no, Cal, like just because you don't like it or you don't think something is, is uh, good this doesn't make it heretical or non-heretical. What makes it heretical or non-heretical is actually whether or not the Bible 
says that it is right or not. We believe in sola scriptura. Sola scriptura says that um, that the Bible is our fi- is our final authority in matters of faith and practice. And so, if we take that to be the standard by what her- like declares something to be heresy or not, then Calvinism is certainly not heretical because it is clearly preached throughout the entire Torah, throughout the entire Tanakh, and throughout the entire apostolic scriptures. And if you need examples of that, um, you know, I, uh, Isaac wants, uh, I'm sorry, Abraham wants Ishmael to have the blessing. And God says, no, um, the covenant doesn't come through Ishmael, it comes through Isaac. A year before Isaac was even born. A so year before bef- Isaac before, was even born. Before Isaac was even conceived. He had a name. Yeah, exactly. God had given him a name, yeah. And so the point is, is that no, uh, that right there is the doctrines of grace, whether or right. not you believe it or not. Right. And so from well, the, what people say, oh, well, Calvinism is a term that's not in the Bible. Well, that's not the point. The point is Calvinism as opposed to Arminian uh, doctrine. Hang and, on, just and, that, and if you can't be on one side or the other. So there's people say, well, I'm, ni- I'm neither. <laughs> well, it means that you're not informed into a core uh, doctrinal uh, issue. Yeah, you haven't you haven't studied correctly. Scripture. Moises yeah. says it's not; it's your interpretation. It is not my interpretation to say that that Abraham Abraham says to God, "I want the cov- the covenant to be with Ishmael," and God says, says may, "No, may, may Ishmael live in your sight." Yeah, yeah, and and that is not my interpretation. That right. is straight yeah, God, out of the yeah. text, brother. Abraham wants something. God says no. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's going the way the way it, I put it's it. It's not my fault that Moises in the chat room doesn't like what the Bible says. That's not my problem. That's your problem. The fact of the matter is, is that God chose Isaac, not Ishmael. That is the doctrines of grace, whether you whether you like it or not. That's not my interpretation. And he chose Jacob, not Esau. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's it's the same thing. Yeah. That's not my interpretation. That is in the text. Now, if you want to say, oh, well, God didn't actually choose Isaac, that's your interpretation of it. That's not, that's, that's you reading into the text. That's called eisegesis. Anyway, okay. That's actually, that's actually the, the position of Islam, is that God chose Ishmael as Abraham's rightful heir, right? That's Mo- the position of Muslims. Yeah, Moises comes back and says, it's your interpretation that means Calvinism. No, it, it, it's your interpretation that you're putting on me. What I believe in is the doctrines of grace. A lot of people, and the doctrines of grace says that God predestines, and that's exactly what that text right. teaches. If and you want to call that's it, rejected by Arme, uh, Jacob Arminius rejected the doctrines of grace. Right. And so it, if if people are going to say well they don't want to take a stand in the in the that dispute as that there's if there's a as if there's a third option. They want to carve out a, a yeah. third space to say oh I'm neither. Well the point is is that Moses is is putting on me the title Calvinism. Now, I understand that most people call the doctrines of grace Calvinism, which is why I say, yeah, okay, I'll accept that. If It makes it easier just to say I'm a Calvinist. But the point is, is I don't care if you call it Calvinism or not. The point is, is that God predestines. That's the point. And I've given the exact text to show it from the Torah. Now, now we can go to Romans 9 as well, and you're going to say, oh, that, that's not dealing with people. Maybe not. Maybe that's not what Moses is going to say. I hate it when people say, this is what you're going to say. So I, I apologize for that. What a lot of people normally say about Romans 9 is that this is dealing with nations, not people. Um, I think that that is just 
ridiculous because it gives specific people that it talks about, right? It, all of the examples are not nations. The nations that the only nations that are <laughs> chosen are the nations that that God says that all the nations of the world will be blessed in you. It means the elect. Yeah, the from quite, every nation. You know, J. F. Packer talks about this in in a beautiful way. It is are we going to say that God is sovereign? And now even the those who hold to Armenian theology or to a, let's take the word Armenian as, out of it for ease of use. Okay. Are we going to say that God is sovereign? And even those who hold to a free will model are going to say, yes, God is sovereign. Okay. And what, what uh, J.I. Packer says is, <clears throat> okay, we all agree that God is sovereign. That is that God's in control. Do we believe that God is sovereign over all things, including salvation? And this is where the free will modelists say, whoa, 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 and whoa. And the hearts of other people. Yeah, exactly. Why, why would I ever pray for someone else's that, that God save somebody? Yeah, why, why did you? God, because, <laughs> because I should just say, no, I, sh- I can't pray for that. That would be God override uh, controlling their heart. Yeah, that's not free will. Yeah, and actually, Luther talks about this in his, uh, what's it called? Bondage, Bondage of, the of the will. will, right. Yeah, Luther's point is it, <laughs> we're slaves. <laughs> that's what Luther said. If you're around there saying, yeah, I'm free, I'm, I'm free will. He's like saying, no, the Bible teaches that you're a slave. Yeah, exactly. You can't be, you can't be a slave. If the Bible means it, that you're a slave, then that means you don't belong to yourself. You're not in charge of yourself. You're not your own master. And I mean, Moises is all over the place here. I agree God predestines. Okay, so you're a Calvinist, but it's the Calvinistic interpretation. What I believe is unbiblical. You, what are you talking about? Jewish sages clearly contradict Calvinist interpretation of scripture. They also reject Yeshua. So um, yeah, I don't care about the Jewish sages. At least Calvin was a believer. The Jewish, well, the Jewish sages, what? The Jewish sages clearly mm. contradict Calvinistic interpretation of Scripture. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, that is perhaps the poorest argument I've seen in the chat room ever. The, 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 the Jewish sages also say that uh, Yeshua is burning in excrement in hell right now. Are you going to agree that, with them on that? You're going to agree with them that uh, Yeshua was was uh, crucified because he was a sorcerer? You're going to agree with that? I, I mean, that's, that's... what th- that is possibly the worst argument I've heard. Now, I, Moises, I would encourage you to go ahead and write us an email so you can can uh, clarify that that point because uh, that certainly needs uh, clarification. I am a Jew. So am I. Who cares? So is Yeshua. If, what, if, what are we getting into bloodline superiority? Talmud, just be here? sure to just just be sure to cite your your sources. Yeah, exactly. Don't, please don't just say, "Oh, the sages say dot dot dot." I mean, just, just because you got a, a like, I'm a card carrying uh, bloodline Jew. What do you think that makes you right? Or that just because the sages, quote unquote, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I assume that you mean the Jewish sages. Just because the Jewish sage sages say something that they're right, this is the, this again is a horrible, horrible way to go uh, uh, about interpretation. There are a lot of Jews who are believers who also are not right in things. Just because you're Jewish makes no, no uh, gives you no weight depending on your theology. You can still be extremely wrong. And I would point to all of the Jews who reject Yeshua. 
let's just point to all of the Jews, which is a predominant amount right now, by the way. The majority of Jews who are religious in the in the in the world today are it's not like they're like, oh yeah, we believe I mean, why do you think that that Israel is declared a non-believing nation right now? Because they either most of them are atheists. Most Jews in the world today are atheists. So I mean, does that make them right? This, I mean, this line of argument, Moises, has gone way down real quick. Bloodline superiority is never going to get anyone anywhere on either side, whether or, whether or not it's people saying, uh, you know, that the white people are better than other people or Jews are better than other people. It's just not the case. Okay, so let's go back now. Let's finally get back to the conversation at hand. Um, let's see here. Uh, is so talking about bringing in a lamb on Nissan 10 to Nissan 14. Oh, I forgot that's what we've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to the back, back to, to back to it. Um, okay, so is this heretical? The reason that I would consider this heretical is because it's against the the scriptures. God says, when I bring you into the land, I will I will. Um, you will sacrifice where I put my eyes and my ears. He put his eyes and his ears at the temple. Jerusalem, yeah. In Jerusalem. The place that I shall choose. The place that I shall choose. That place is at the temple. So if you are outside of the temple, and and Judaism has, why do you think that Yeshua went went to the temple to prepare the Pascha? He tells us, he goes into Jerusalem, right? They get a, they get the, the upper room. He says, and go and prepare the Pascha. What do you think that means? To, to sacrifice the lamb. Why didn't he just do that outside of Jerusalem? Or up in Galilee. Why it, go all the way? Yeah. I mean, just that right there tells us, yes, we know that there's no temple, but that doesn't matter. Does, and th- this is what I think was God's punishment on the Jewish people that did not accept Christ because in in the in the unbelieving Jewish mindset there was no way to receive atonement for the nation and personally without a temple and and so the point is is that if there's no temple guess what Israel is lost now let's talk about the Jewish believing people what about those of us who believe, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. But what about those Jews that are part of Israel who did believe? For instance, the apostles. Well, guess what? This is exactly what Hebrews talks about. We have a temple. We have a sacrifice that's already been made. And Yeshua continues to make intercession for us. So the point is, is yeah, there's no temple, but you can't sacrifice if there's no temple. That is the place of sacrifice. That's the point. So anyone who says to you, oh, I'm going to sacrifice a lamb, um, you know, in my backyard, and I'm going to put that blood above my, my door. Um, no, that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that there's only one place to, to sacrifice now, and that's in Jerusalem. Why do you, here's, okay, let's, let's wrap this up with this as well. Why was there a pilgrimage to, by Israel to Jerusalem during Passover. It was the largest pilgrimage festival there was. If people could just sacrifice their lamb anywhere, why would you why would you travel hundreds of miles in some cases? 
to come to Jerusalem. Why did the Ethiopian come in Acts? Why did he come from Ethiopia to come to the temple for a festival? Why didn't he just sacrifice where he was? And the answer is because there's only one place you can sacrifice. It's in the temple in Jerusalem. Um, so th if we take that first point, which is, is this heretical? The answer is yes, it's heretical. You shouldn't be sacrificing outside of the temple. There is no temple, therefore you cannot sacrifice. All of a sudden, number two and three become very clear. Does this add to sanctification? No, it is against Torah. It is against the word of God, and therefore it is, I think it's sin. And number three, is God pleased when people do this kind of stuff? No, sin is always an offense against God. Should we move on? Or do I mean, please keep going. Well, let's say let's say I'm a farmer and I raise my own uh, sheep and goats, and I want to have lamb for Passover. Am I supposed to not uh, eat lamb? Am I, not, am I supposed to not eat meat? Is there a pathway that I can actually do what I normally do, which is slaughter an animal and prepare it and have a have a a big meal, big celebratory meal. What's the difference between that and me slaughtering a lamb, thinking it's actually a sacrifice, right? And then taking the blood and doing something ritual with ritualistic with the blood, and then proclaim making some proclamation that I'm uh, offering this as a sacrifice to God. There's yeah, there's just there's a big difference. It see it might seem like oh it's the same thing. No. So if someone that's what their way of life is. <clears throat> well, hang on just a second. Let's talk about this from a Torah perspective. In the Torah it says that he gives provision for you to be able to kill and eat meat in any right. of your lands. Yeah. And, and that's called kulin. That's that's kulin. That is that is uh eating meat that you that is properly bled, etc. So it's properly slaughtered. But it's not a sacrifice to the Lord. Right, exactly. It's and just proper It's proper uh, treatment of, of an animal and bleeding it. And, and, and what's the difference between those two things? Yeah, one is one is attributing holiness, holy ritual. Yeah, and, but, and, but one can only be done in a very specific place. Exactly. Yeah. That is the point to that. In other words, can you sacrifice in any of your places? The answer is no, you can't. Why not? Because it, there's only one place that you can do it. So even the Torah command itself that you can, even the Torah allowance to be able to, to uh, kill me outside of the, the temple complex and eat it shows that there's only one place that you can actually make a sacrifice, and that's in the temple complex itself. Right. So it's not, it's not technically <clears throat> the Passover lamb. So you can eat lamb on passover but it's not the pascha it's not, the, it's not the, don't to to treat it as if it is the pascha is right. a category mistake that it's gonna it, it's foggy thinking it's it's not helping bring a clear message of the scripture to its fullness yeah and this by the way for those who i mean <clears throat> like our friend moisha in the in the uh in the chat room uh I mean, certainly the, we can talk about the rabbinical prohibitions. The rabbis say you're not allowed to eat uh, lamb on Passover. And they do that because they don't want people to confuse a lamb that you would slaughter with the sacrificial lamb that can only be sacrificed in the temple. I disagree with this. 
And the reason I disagree with it is because I don't take my, my law code from, from the Talmud or the Mishnah. My law code is the Bible. Once again, back to Sola Scriptura. And so, just like Rob said, I have no problem. We eat lamb every single Passover, and we love it. Um, but one of the things that we always say is, this is not our Passover lamb. Because this is not this is not a sacrifice, and it was not, and we make that very clear to all of our guests, and we say the the Passover lamb on our ta- that is at our table now is Yeshua. Christ is with us, and He says, He says that I, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, right? And He says, Do this in remembrance of Me. So, um, in terms of like rabbinical tradition, they don't eat, you know, traditionally lamb is not eaten on Passover. Unless you come to my house or Rob's house, come on over. The we'll Samaritans, have some the Samaritans in Israel, I believe to this day will annually slaughter pa- uh, Passover lambs at Mount Gerizim. Yikes! At, in their at their Samaritan place of worship, and they have their Samaritan priests that that oversee the process i have been stand, i have been corrected in the chat room joshua i think rightfully i don't know i'd have to look into this but joshua I will acquiesce to your knowledge here on this he says i thought that the sephardim and the mizrahim eat uh lamb at passover i would uh, that is definitely a possibility and you're probably right you're probably right okay let's move on boy that took a half an hour i thought that that was going to be a really quick one <laughs> uh okay uh, I want to, but, that, but in any case, it's not viewed as if this is, that's the Passover lamb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. We're going to jump around a little bit here. Let's jump to Joshua. This was a comment on our YouTube channel or on a YouTube video. He says, so are Christians supposed to keep all 613 laws of the Torah? Now we can, we'll come back and talk about that in a second. The letter to the Gentiles makes it seem like this is not so, and it even says the Holy Spirit does not want them to be burdened, but it tells them not to eat the blood of animals and not to eat animal sacrifice to idols, but does not mention the 613 laws. Okay, hang on just a sec. Let's start with the very first part of this. He says, so are Christians supposed to keep all 613 laws of the Torah? Now, I know that Joshua is just, this is an easy way to refer to the Torah. But with that said, the number 613 is somewhat of an arbitrary number. It's the traditional number used for the commands uh, in Judaism. However, there are different lists with different numbering systems. So, yes, we talk about 613 laws, but this is really kind of a made-up number. And if you go and you look at all the laws, yeah, I understand how they got to it, but some of them are a little bit, nah, I, I don't know about that. Um So let's just say the covenantal regulations. In other words, if we're in covenant with God, are we supposed to keep the covenant regulations? And the answer is, of course. Anybody, anybody I think would say that. Even people who, even mainstream Christians who say that that the Torah, certain laws of the Torah, like the Sabbath or the festivals have been done away with, they're going to tell you that if you're in covenant with God, you keep the covenantal regulations. They're just going to think that those covenantal regulations may be different. And this is a question that I've asked before. What are the covenantal regulations for the new for the new covenant? Are there covenantal regulations? There are always covenantal regulations in one on one to at least one of the parties in the covenant. And and so we could talk that could be a whole show, I'm sure. 
Anyway, so now let's move on. The letter to the Gentiles, or to the, the letter to the Gentiles. I said it, I thought it said Galatians, but it doesn't. It says the letter to the Gentiles makes Acts, it seem. Is that Acts 16? So he's talking about Acts 15. 15. Yeah, he's talking about Acts 15. Let's pull it up and let's talk about it. Acts 15, I just wrote on this, so this is pretty fresh in my mind. Um, and we're going to go down to uh, verse... Uh, we're going to start in verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should, and this is now James speaking, that we should not uh, trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, let's not stop there, for from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Okay, so that is the letter that, you know, that they now are going to put together, and they're going to send it out. Do you want to take this first, or do you want me to continue to endlessly talk? Well, I would just go to the actual letter in verse 24, where it says, We have heard that some people have gone out from us and have troubled your souls with right. words though we gave them no instruction. So the context is that you have the the church authorities, right? The shepherds of the of Yeshua's flock, right? Get get a report that there are new believers from among the nations whose hearts are troubled, whose literally it's their souls are troubled by what they've been hearing as in teaching which did not originate with the James John and Peter. So if we just pause right there, that's what's happening. So the, the core pillars, if you will, if, if you allow that to be James and John and, and Kepha, they are hearing a report of new believers from the nations that are genuinely repent. They have genuinely repented and received the Holy Spirit, but they're being taught things that trouble their, their souls. That gets back to the leaders, and the leaders are like, uh-uh, we're gonna, we need to nip this in the bud. And so this letter goes out to address that specific situation. And then on the flip side, we know that it says, in, let's see, 1530, they were sent off, went down to Antioch, gathered congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement etc cetera, etc cetera. and if you continue on um it it says that uh in chapter 16 that they were delivering the decree and everybody was rejoicing when they heard it so even without knowing the specifics yet we can say the bigger picture of this is what happened there was disunity brought by wrong teaching when the leaders heard about it they they immediately acted to remedy it Okay, so now, if, if that's true, we have to say, what was the false teaching? Why were these new, fresh believers, repentant, who'd abandoned idolatry, and were coming to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the true and only living God, and they renounced even maybe family ties in some places? A, what, why were they troubled? Why, why, was, why were they not why was this new blessing of life in Yeshua disturbed? 
What was the nature of the disturbance? Was the disturbance based on truth or was the disturbance based on false falsity? My position is that the reason their hearts were disturbed is because a false teacher was telling them something that, that made them unsure. It sowed seeds of doubt into their heart as to their uh, the nature of their, quote, citizenship in the body of Messiah or the nature of their belonging. They doubted whether or not they really belonged. And I think we have to approach it that way. So why did they feel like they didn't belong? Because false teaching, they were told that they weren't doing it correctly. Right. That, that they, the faith that they had was insufficient, that there was still other things that they were required to do before they'd be acceptable to God, that they weren't right before God. Why, why else would that be? Imagine this. Imagine I come to, I'm a brand new believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the first message I get is repent and believe in Yeshua and you're in him and he died for your sins. And I receive that and I'm, I'm full of joy. And then all of a sudden someone comes that I think is authoritative within that faith. And they tell me, actually, you're not fully accepted by God. You're not acceptable to God yet. You, I know they told you that, but you're not. All of a sudden I'd be like, what? You know, and this is, it, it's a similar, it's a parallel to what we read in Galatians where, you know, Simon Peter or Kepha, right? He's eating with, with Gentiles regularly. And then all of a sudden some people come and then he disengages. And now I'm wondering, well, wait a minute, how come, you know, did I do something wrong? Am I, am I less than? Okay. And that's, that's helps us zero in on the point. The point is, you have different people selling, quote unquote, or promoting what it means <clears throat> to be God's people. Right. And, and that, that's the core issue there. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's a lot that could be said about this. And I think what Rob has basically set up now is the context a bit of what's going on. I, I think that honestly, at the end of this passage is really, um, I mean, one of the things that, that many of the commentators have a really difficult time with is this statement at the end of it. For from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. The, the commentators really stumble all over themselves about this. Now, with that said, there's a couple of different views from mainstream Christian authors who say, okay, what's actually going on here? Now, I'll give you a couple of them. For instance, some believe that this is talk like MacArthur. MacArthur believes that this is telling the Gentiles that they don't have to keep the law anymore. Basically, what this boils down to is the idea uh, that we are sanctified, that we are not sanctified except for by these four things. Gentiles are only sanctified by four things. This cannot be the interpretation. Never tells us is that the word sanctification doesn't even occur here, does it? Right. But the point is that this certainly cannot be the interpretation. Why is that? Well, because... Are you telling me that the Jews have a different form of sanctification than the Gentiles? No, of course not. Beyond that, are you telling me that these are the only four things that Gentiles have to do to be sanctified? No, of course not. We know that's not true either. We, we know that that's not true either. <laughs> we know the greatest commandment is love God, is the Shema. Right. And yeah, are, Yeshua says the greatest commandment is the Shema. Is that only true for Jewish uh, followers of Jesus? Right. And, and now, if you're a Gentile believer, you don't. that doesn't apply. Well, <laughs> the greatest let's, let's just look at what's missing. 
What's, well, so so then are Gentiles allowed to lie, slander, gossip? Are Gentiles allowed to, uh, you know, commit adultery? Are, you know, there, I mean, there's a list of things that any Christian today is going to say, no, 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 that's not what it's saying. So sanctification is not the main point here. Then you got somebody like uh, Keener, Dr. Craig Keener. Craig Keener is going to say, well, this is a precursor, and it's a precursor to the, to the Noahide laws. This is, and I've actually talked to Dr. Keener about this at the at the ETS before. This you'll see in in the academic realm, ethnically Jewish scholars. You know, not necessarily even Jewish by faith, but you know, Jewish interpreters often use this as a Noahide right. as well. And and this is a gross misinterpretation of the Noahide laws in general. But my father's written on this. It's a pretty heady. Uh, article, but yeah, do he, the seven go to heaven? Yeah, you gotta he, check it out. He shows oh, this is on to our resource, and by the way, he also has an article on Acts 15. You go check it out anyway. Um, free, by the way, both of these are free studies. Um, but the the idea that the Noahide laws were around at this time it cannot be held upheld by any any evidence. And what also cannot be upheld by any evidence is that this is a precursor because we don't see the Noahide laws come into existence until about 300 years afterwards, right. after and this point. And, and the idea that there's seven is a later development because there's, there's oh, the first times yeah. when they're, they're trying to delineate. This is similar to the 613. They're trying to delineate how many Yeah, there's like 12. Commandments. There's no, yeah, six. and they can't. And then they come down to seven, which is that ideal number, obviously. Seven. Yeah, but what, what, okay, but hang on just a sec. Let's talk real quick about, and, and many people don't realize this. What is the function of the Noahide laws within Judaism? For those who don't know what the Noahide laws are, there are seven uh, commandments that that, that, that the Noahide laws say are given to Gentiles. In other words, the Jews this have- This is six, the Talmud, what Caleb was talking about is that this is emerges in the, kind of as a, a doctrine of sorts in the Talmudic era. Right. And basically what, what is said is, okay, the Jews have 613 commandments, but the Gentiles, they only have seven. And if the Gentiles keep these laws, then they're righteous. That's actually not what the, the purpose of the Noahide laws is. What the purpose of the Noahide laws is a dig on Gentiles from the Jews. And what I mean right, by that is look at them. They were given seven and they can't even keep those. Exactly. That's the all it is. The point of yeah. the Noahite laws is not to say, here, Gentiles, you only have to keep seven laws. The point of the Noahite laws is to say, these pagans, they were only given seven laws by God and they can't even keep those. They are damned because they can't even keep seven laws. Yet us Jews, we've been given 613 laws. Uh, see, now right. we're, so we're you, really righteous. In the Middle Ages, when you have Maimonides... The Rambam, he he will now take that theme and turn it into uh, looking forward to the messianic age, where where the where Israel is in charge of the world and they go out to the nations and the nations have to accept the seven laws of Noah as coming from Sinai, right. as coming from revelation, not of their own wisdom. And if they don't, they get killed. Yeah. So it's it, and that's you know by the year eleven hundred, you know, or so twelve hundred. So so okay, there's so, a whole history of that of the development of that idea that is important. But the, but the point is is that the idea that this is a pre and and you know I respect Doctor uh, Keener immensely. I I really respect his work. However, on this one, I think he is dead wrong, and I've and I've said in a much nicer way to him in person that I don't think that this is actually what Acts fifteen is talking about. Okay, with that put onto the side. What is really going on? And you have good scholars such as, I believe, I believe F.F. Bruce is the one who holds to this uh, view. And that is that these are actually, all four of these laws 
have to do with pagan ritual within the pagan temple. And I agree with this view. My view is that that all four of these laws, basically what they're saying is, look, if you do these four things, you are still associated with paganism and that you are not going to be allowed in right, the synagogue. Right. It's it helps it helps a new a new Gentile believer who has repented, it helps them clarify their dissociation with right. their former way of life. Exactly. Because it's not always we all have blind spots. You know, they might think, oh, I could still go. You know, I've got family having an, you know, they're going over to that temple. I think I'll go and eat with my family there. It's clarifying the dissociation from that. That's that's what it is. It's not a pro, it's not teaching. It doesn't replace the hearing of the Torah. It doesn't replace hearing, being instructed by the revelation of God's word. That's why this is called a dogma. This is called a dogma in Greek, a man-made rules, right? I mean, it's right. it's inspired by the Holy Spirit for sure for the specific cause, but it's not it's not it's not a Bible for the Gentiles. <laughs> exactly, it's not a Bible for the Gentiles. That you know, and that's what it's been treated as if as if the Gentiles, oh, they you know they wrote a Bible for them, and it's only one verse long. Don't do this, 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 or this, and you're fine. Yeah. That's our new, like, as if it's a new religion being invented. Exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a sad uh, misinterpretation. Um, so basically, that's what I think the the letter to, in Acts 15 is. I don't believe that this has to do with sanctification. So the idea that all of a sudden the Gentiles don't have to keep the the covenant regulations. Um, the hearing that the attending on Shem hearing the Torah scriptures read. Is part of, I would say that's part of sanctification. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. We have spent 45 minutes now on two topics. And this is actually surprising to me because we actually had a lot more topics that we were going to try to get to. Um, actually, not a lot. We had three more topics. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about the one that is my suggestion. And if we have time for more after that, then great. Um, but uh okay, hang on just a sec. I got I don't want to down anyone, but I do want to address this in the chat room. Somebody asked if our if Torah Resource or if our uh, group is associated with Michael Boas at FFOZ. The answer is no. My father, Tim Hegg, used to be the th theological editor for FFOZ back in the early 2000s. This changed when FFOZ's theological uh, outlook on certain things began to change. And my father decided I cannot be associated with this group anymore because of some of their theological changes. Those theological changes, somebody asks, are they Trinitarian? I'm not sure if FFOZ is still Trinitarian or not. The theological changes that my father left over was the place of the Torah and the life of a Gentile. My father is one Torah. FFOZ has now come out against one Torah and now believes in bilateral ecclesiology. And they've written on this. And authority of rabbinic. Uh, and authority of rabbinic uh, material. Exactly. Material. And so uh, Torah Resource and Rob and myself, Messiah Matters, Torah Resource, we completely and totally reject the idea that the Torah is only given to Jews. We also reject the idea that the rabbinic literature, and we, at the beginning of the show, we talked about this, any notion that the rabbinic literature, the Talmud or the Mishnah or Tosefta, anything from the, rabbin the rabbinic writings has authority on the life of a believer. We don't believe that. Instead, it is my belief that the quote-unquote, oral Torah of the believing community can be found in the apostolic scriptures, which was written down right away. Why? Because they realized it was scripture. 
Oral Torah was not allowed to be written down. And we see this in the Oral Torah, in the Mishnah. In the Mishnah, it says you're not allowed to write this down. Interesting that we read it written down. Anyway, why did the, why did the apostles uh, uh, write down their accounts so quickly? The reason why is because they didn't think that it was oral Torah. They didn't think it was just tradition. They thought it was God-breathed. It should be written down and passed on through writing. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Okay. So let's move to my, to my question for you, Rob. And I have my own answer to this. And this, I'm sure, will bring tons of emails. By the way, I saw your email come through, Moshe, uh, Moises. And uh, I appreciate you sending us an email on predestination. I will try to get to it. Uh, sometime this next week. Uh, thank you for that. Okay. So here's my question to you. You know, I don't consider myself to be Hebrew roots. I don't consider myself anymore really to be messianic. Um, and we've talked about the, that, the reasons for that. I would consider myself at this point to be a non-denominational Christian. Um, and I, I get emails on that literally every week. And every time I say it, more emails come. Um, so that's neither here nor there. The, I would consider myself part of the Torah movement. What I mean by that is I believe that the Torah, as you can hear from this entire show, the Torah, that is the covenant obligations, are uh, the way of God sanctifying his people. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. And so I'm a Sabbatarian, so is Rob. We keep the Sabbath on Saturday. Uh, we keep a kosher diet, a biblically kosher diet, and I think that that needs to be clarified, not rabbinically kosher. Um, and we, uh, celebrate the festivals and, uh, that is not the forefront of my faith. The forefront of my faith is Christ, Yeshua dying on the, on the cross. And, um, I, this is the forefront of my faith. And those other things are kind of back here, <clears throat> but that is what, that is what I believe puts me in the realm of Torah movement. So the question that I have for you is what do you believe is the biggest threat or possible downfall of the Torah movement as a whole. Now, we get lumped in, as soon as we talk about the Torah movement as a whole, we get lumped in with all of those groups that we don't necessarily agree with. Hebrew Roots Movement, Messianic Movement. So, But that's okay. What do you think the biggest threat is or possible downfall of the Torah movement as a whole? I'll let you go first. Um, I would say, uh, being lopped off, being a branch lopped off the tree because it's not bearing fruits of repentance and genuine faith. What do you think, but what do you think causes that? Uh, outward religion, fake, fake religion, (laughs) um, people being, trapped by externals and thinking that oh because i because i don't keep easter but i keep passover because i keep it's a workspace uh, salvation yeah yeah the idea <clears throat> that um somehow i'm i'm obeying god in a in a um and and that therefore I'm better Therefore, than you. <laughs> because I think I'm doing this, I must be more righteous or something like that. Yeah. Um, maybe, and it could be this, it could be also the, uh, that same category mistake of, of confusing justification by faith and sanctification. 
you know, justification by faith is the great equalizer. Yeah. Abraham, David, you know, uh, Paul of Tarsus or Saul of Tarsus. Okay. What's the great equalizer of them is, is that it's, is the doctrines of grace. Now, when it comes to sanctification, that's that the context of our sanctification is our, is our justification. We grow and we bear fruit because we are, because we are attached by faith to Messiah. We're one with him. But if, if we, if, you know, if someone forgets or, does, or you know, were to actually, well, actually, it's not that they would forget. It was just that it would just be exposed that they were just um, joining in with a, a believing community and part doing the things that they think they should be doing, but they were never born from above. You know, that, that person's got another thing coming. So we're, we're to bear fruit. And so any, you know, if there's, if there's a threat to any movement, it's, this isn't, and what I'm saying isn't unique to only uh, Torah groups, you know, or whether it's Hebrew roots or Messianic or, or whether it's, you know, any branch of Christianity. Bear fruits meet of repentance, right? Yeah, I, or that, or that, or you're going to get lopped off. I mean, that's the core instruction here: is that we, is that, how do we stand before God? Do we stand before God in grace, in Messiah's grace, in love for us, and what He did for us? And if so, that frames my life of seeking to learn and obey Him and and prioritize the things of the kingdom very differently than if I just am like a like a Saul of Tarsus, and I just come to this religion as a ravenous thing, and I'm just going to out show everybody about how great of a religious person I am. That person's in for that's that's headed for deep mischief. <laughs> yeah. So here, I think that what you're um, saying actually plays in to. Um, Hang on just a sec. Mike, uh, if you're still on, I'm going to send you an email that just came in. Um, I think what you're saying actually plays into my to my belief of what is the biggest threat to the Torah movement. And I don't think it's just to the Torah movement. I think this is a huge threat to believing communities and to the, the ecclesia no matter what. And uh, no matter if it's Torah movement or, or anything else. However, I think that the people who have really um, jumped onto this are people in the Torah movement. And that is this. I think that the Torah movement as a whole has greatly downplayed the absolute need for community. And what I mean by that is we get emails literally almost every day, multiple sometimes a day from people saying, I'm not in community because there's no one around me that I agree with. And what this does is it plays into what you've said because I think that whether or not a community is fully, you know, there might be some things I disagree with or whatever. Basically, a community serves vital functions for the uh, for individual believers, and those vital functions, when you, when they're not there, people tend to go down into heresy. 
views are, you know, theology is just kind of, I choose whatever I want and no one's pushing against me. So you get into these huge theological errors when you're not in community. You have well, no- we should say that com- there are, there are big communities that are based on some big errors. So, so just having a community isn't sufficient to eliminate error. I agree with you completely. However, you know, in um, whereas in Hebrews it says that the elders are are uh, to watch over the souls, is there to watch over your souls, and so I think that 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 speaks to uh, theolo- theology. You know, we get, and I've noticed this a lot recently. We get um, a lot of emails asking, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Now, I love theological questions and those kind of things. However, I think that people, first and foremost, when you have a theological question, the very first place we should go is to our elders, to to our pastors and elders. And uh, too much today, I think people are relying on social media and relying on the internet for their theological feeding. I think that that's a major, major problem. Um, that's that's, and I think that that feeds into all other, uh, to many other problems. Okay. Um, we have had a super chat from love is bigger. Thank you very much. Love is bigger. Let's uh, say thank you properly. You've been blessed. (laughs) There was no comment to come along with the super chat. Uh, so, but you know, I'm more than happy to uh, play a, uh, a sound bite for you. If you have one that you like for the super chat, see, we give, we give special treatment to people who use the super chat function. Many people don't know what that is, but that's okay. Uh, we are set up for super chat we think love is bigger for sending a super chat. Should I just choose a, uh, a sound clip to play? I can't believe we already discussed this. If you want to add glitter to that glue you're sniffing, that's fine. But don't dump your wackadoo all over us. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, hey, it's been fun. It's been real. (laughs) Season seven comes to the end of its life. And now a new dawn begins with season eight. Mm. In this this next week, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create a new intro and we're going to work on art. And it's going to be amazing. And next week, I can already tell you in, in the in this week's description, I put in that we were going to talk about two house modern two house theology. That comes actually from Moises in the chat room, who we uh, had interaction with on this show. And then um, we had somebody else ask um, about dating Paul's letters. Um, and then Moises also just sent us an email. I haven't looked at it yet. I don't know what's in it, but maybe that'll be a source of some interesting topics on predestination as Moises obviously takes a different um, a different understanding than we do. Um, it would be interesting to talk to M- Moises, and I'm probably saying his wrong, name wrong. I don't know. That's how he spells it. Um, but it'd be interesting to talk to him on his, uh, on his outlook on prayer. If God is in, in control, why pray? Anyway, um, so he said that he sent something over that uh, looks at predestination from a rabbinical, biblical view. I don't know what that means. Anyway. I guess we'll find out. So, yeah. Anyway, all right. Boy, it's been fun, man. Seven seasons. Seven seasons. 
Can't believe it. Um, and Love is Bigger says, I didn't know I could comment. Anything you pick. All right. Anything I pick? We'll do one more. We'll do one more for the Super Chat. Uh, did, he have a, did he have one? Let's see. Well, I got, I got, no, I got several that I really like and that we haven't played in a long time. So we'll just do, we'll just do a couple of them. I'm a Catholic, which is the best of all religions, really, because we have the most rules and the best rules. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Sponsored by Ace Religious Supply, where they say, if we don't got it, it ain't holy. <laughs> okay, I'm having too much fun. I'm having way too much fun. If we ain't got it, it, it ain't holy. <laughs> I love that. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Anything else before we uh, end season seven, my friend? No, thank you. Praise God. Seven seasons. Can't believe it. All right. Well, we hope that this conversation and this season has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? You know why? Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.